So, Father, thank you for Peter. I have no idea what he's going to say today, Lord. But I pray, Lord, that you will bless us as he speaks to us, Lord. I pray for your spirit to be upon him and for your wind of your spirit to blow through us this morning, Lord. May his words find a place in our heart. And I pray it will be a catalyst to change people's lives, Lord. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. So, um, most of you know we've been doing a series on the, um, the kingdom of God and um, we're coming towards the end of that series. And um, it's, oh, do you want to send around the collection baskets? Go on. Um, they'll be coming around. And um, one of the um, topics that comes up in the kingdom of God I want to speak about this morning, um, but I want to start before we get into that topic um, sharing a story, and um, this this story is a story of shame. And the last couple of weeks, we've we've heard about shame, and I think this story kind of helps um, get us to understand a bit about the topic that I want to talk about today. So I want to take you back thirty years to a classroom, and in the classroom are those wooden lifty up desks and little wooden chairs. And um, there's a crowd of boys around a Nintendo playing Donkey Kong 2. It was important that it was Donkey Kong 2, it was just out, and it was the latest console. And there's a crowd of boys on their chairs around the desk playing it. And um, there was a boy at the back of the group uh, who couldn't get his chair in to come and play. Um, Let's call him Peter. I like the name Peter. And uh, he couldn't get his chair in. And, and, and after some nagging, the other said, OK, you can have a go. And by the time he gets to the console, the first life has already gone. And so there's two more lives left. The thing is, Peter didn't have Donkey Kong, let alone Donkey Kong 2. And he was rubbish. And the two lives were gone in moments. And like 20 seconds later... Somebody else is on starting a new game. And they were all great because they already had Donkey Kong at home, everybody in the group. And Peter was at the back and he couldn't get his chair in and he couldn't even see how to play the game. And he was getting more and more frustrated. And James was standing behind the group and he's leaning over Mark. And uh, Peter just couldn't see at all. Peter stands up, picks up the chair and smacks James around the head with it. And James is cut. There's blood everywhere. And he was scarred for life. Of course, that was me. I was Peter. And that's not a story I've ever told publicly. Um, Pamela knows and somebody else knows. But it's a story of great shame. And that's why it's not told publicly. But I want to talk about anger today. And I was so angry that day. And I didn't know how to deal with it as a 10-year-old. And uh, I want to talk about anger, and I believe the Bible says a lot about anger. And we've been talking about the kingdom of God. And and Jesus talks about developing the kingdom, the kingdom's coming. And uh, he talks about his people being salt and light. And the very first thing that Jesus talks about is anger. Which kind of, for me, seems a bit odd. You'd expect him to talk about going and spreading the message. You'd think about him talking about healing. But no, he talks about anger. 
And he says this, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. And first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. And um, Jesus is saying anger is, is something that really can cause great problems. And actually, you need to get a grip and understand your anger, and you need to go and you need to not be angry with your brother. And he's talking to those of us in the kingdom of God. And he's saying, actually, if the kingdom of God is going to achieve what I want it to achieve, you have to deal with some of your emotions, and anger is one of them. And the thing about anger, we always think about anger being incredibly negative. But actually, anger isn't good and anger isn't bad. Anger's the emotion. It's what we do with it that can be good as bad. It can be constructive, it can be destructive. And actually, when we lose our rag, it's often incredibly destructive. I was listening to a sermon by a guy called Bobby Schiller recently. And uh, he said, anger is neither positive or negative. It's an emotion. What we do with it can be very positive or negative. And then he said this. He said, the object of your anger is not always the source of our anger. If you're angry at the microwave, then something else is going on. I just want you to think about that for a moment. If you saw somebody beating their microwave you would think, well, there are other ways of cooking. It can't be that big a deal to do it slightly more quickly. You shouldn't be so frustrated that your microwave isn't working or that you don't know how to twiddle the knobs correctly to make it come on. And actually, you'd think perhaps they're a little bit kind of mad. But actually, we all behave like that, don't we? We saw the problems with the IT at the beginning of the meeting, and I don't know how Justin was feeling about his items of technology at that moment, but I know I can get incredibly frustrated if the router at home isn't working or the printer suddenly doesn't work. And then you get helpful suggestions like, are you sure it's plugged in? <laughs> I have checked that it's plugged in. And we've all been there. We know what it's like to get really frustrated with inanimate objects. And we can become very angry about things. I typed into Google as I was preparing this, why am I angry? And it came up with a big long list. And this is from a counseling website. Um, and so counselors would talk about the fact that people are angry because of fear because of powerlessness, frustration, pain from their past, bad habits, tiredness, jealousy, seeking approval, hurt, manipulation, their health, 
There's loads of reasons why people might become very angry. You might be angry because actually you're not angry with the microwave, but what happened all day? You're just taking it out on the microwave that happens to be the first thing that didn't go right after whatever else it was during your day. And I would want to say, actually, all those things that I just lifted off, they're about us not having the right value. It's changing the values in our head that will help sort this out. So about the microwave. Well, I paid for this microwave. It's my microwave. And it should work. That's the kind of thing we say. But who gave you the money to buy it? Who allowed you to buy it? It's just out of warranty. Why didn't it break down last week? How could you do that to me, God? Microwaves aren't eternal. We won't need microwaves in heaven. God didn't do it to your microwave, I would like to suggest. But we blame God when things don't go quite right. And I want to say that anger isn't wrong. Jesus was angry when he went into the temple and he turned over the tables and said, you're treating this temple like a huge market and that's not what it's for. We should be here worshipping God. And he turns over the tables and I suspect those money changers, they were probably really angry with Jesus. And actually, the way, what we do with the anger is far more important. I believe Jesus would be really angry about child porn. And I wonder whether he would get a sledgehammer and smash up somebody's computer who was into it. He might. And he might not. I believe he's really angry about the fact that we have so many single mothers. And he's angry with the fathers not taking their responsibilities. I believe Jesus gets angry about things like abortion. But he doesn't walk into a Colorado clinic and go on a shooting spree and kill three people. And put loads of others in hospital. And actually, it's about what we do with the anger that's important. The first thing on that list that I listed of kind of causes of anger was fear. And fear isn't right. We're told that perfect love drives out fear. And actually, if you're fearful, and that's part of your anger, then actually getting back to God and focusing on him is going to help you have a different perspective. If you understand, as we've heard this morning, that you are a son of God, it takes away your fears because it gives you a whole different perspective on what's going on in your life. Lack of power, that was another one in the list. If we realize who we are with God, we understand that, yes, in ourselves we have got no power but we are sons of God who has the ultimate power, who is in charge of all things. It gives us a completely different perspective. We think, I should be able to fix this, and I can't. And we get frustrated. 
But actually, if we realize the enormity of the thing we're worried about compared to the enormity of the things that are going on in the world around us, and we get a different perspective, suddenly we might feel very differently. I was talking to a friend at work about anger last week, and she said, well, have you heard about the chimp paradox? Who here has heard about the chimp paradox? A few people around the room. And um, the chimp paradox was, uh, is a book written by Professor Steve Peters, who was the head of um, the university medical school in Sheffield till fairly recently. And um, he has got all kinds of important positions. He's, the, he's a psychiatrist, and he's the psychiatrist to the England football team, to the British cycling team, and uh, he has come alongside loads of different sportsmen and got them to change the way they think. Stephen Gerrard said he is the best. I've played my most consistent form for Liverpool and England since seeing Steve. Chris Hoy said, the mind program that helped me win all of my Olympic golds. Victoria Pendleton, Steve Peters is the most important person in my career. So this guy, you know, is a guy who's changed people's thinking. Just going to start this one. I'm not going to say who this is by. This person has written the review that comes up top on Amazon. Um, But you'll know who it is. I've been a professional sportsman for over 20 years, winning three world titles, four UK championships, four Masters titles, plus many more titles. And my journey has not always been the best in terms of how I have felt about it. Many times vowing to retire. It has been that hard. And in this time, I have worked with many people to try and help me through this journey. And in my opinion, nothing has come close to how this book explains things. And he goes on. I mean, it's a huge, long uh, review of this book. And he finishes up. I got a lot out of reading this book. And let's be honest, what price can you put on being happy? Who was it who wrote that? Ronnie O'Sullivan. And, um, and it did. It, when he... We all heard about the way he changed and uh, the way he approached his sport. And it was all because of this book. Now, um, there's a picture up on the screen. And um, this is the thing that this guy explains to people to try and sort out both their anger and their frustrations and put them into a different perspective. So he says, at the front of the brain, you've got the frontal area. And um, that's the first team. And uh, that's the human, that's the conscious thinking, the analyzing. And um, the second team is the chimp. You can see that in the middle, the limbic system. And he said, the second team is an independent thinking brain that's not under your control. It works with feelings and impressions, puts the informations together uh, using emotional thinking. And the third team is the computer, the parietal. And... um, Those who are scientists, they probably have heard all this stuff before. It acts as your memory and as your automatic thinking machine. And he talks about how you can stop the chimp taking control. So Steve Peters would say, as a 10-year-old boy, I let the chimp control my behavior. And I became like a monkey and just responded. Because that's what monkeys do when they get frustrated. They hit out. And... um, 
I don't think there's anything new under the sun. Although this guy has um, made a career from writing this book and uh, helping all these sports stars, um, actually, I don't think the theories that he's using there are new. So I want to read you this. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing I do I hate. So now it's no longer I that do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I that do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, But I see my members, another uh, war is waging against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of the sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And Paul was saying the same thing. He was saying, you've got this bit in your brain that wants you to do stuff that's not good, that goes out of control, that throws things, yells, stamps, slams doors. We all do these things. And actually, we don't need to be under that law anymore. We can be free of that, and we can know that freedom. That was, of course, Paul in Romans who said that. James said this. This is the the brother of Jesus. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And when we get the kind of thinking that Jesus is talking about, where actually we don't get controlled by the emotions anymore, and actually we do something with them, we, we process them before they come out, actually there's going to be a completely different outworking. James says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. And we see it all around the world, don't we? Actually, people murder for a pair of Nike trainers. And actually, that kind of anger, that kind of outworking of emotion that says, I can kill someone because I need a pair of trainers, is so sad. And... Um, I think the Bible gives quite a lot of advice about anger. I just want to go through a few of those because um, I think they can be incredibly helpful. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, be angry. That's how the whole section starts. And I don't believe Jesus says, don't get angry. I believe he was probably very angry when he went in the temple that day. And I believe, as I've said, that Jesus gets angry about all kinds of injustice, all kinds of wrongs. But it says, be angry 
and do not sin. So we can be angry, but we need to recognize those feelings and not do wrong with the feelings when they come. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And um, Jesus had said the same there, didn't he? Actually, leave, your, leave what you have at the temple. Go and make up with your brother before you try and worship. And actually, don't let the sun go down on your anger. says the same thing. Go and deal with it. Go and make amends. Don't have strife amongst you. And he says, why? Because you give no opportunity to the devil when you do that. It goes on, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So we're instructed, yes, be angry, but put all those things to one side. Because they are not going to help you. They're not going to help you in your relationships with others. They're not going to help you in your relationship with God. And they're not going to help if you're going to try and build the kingdom of God. James again says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I've found this to my chagrin over the years, that I lose my rag far too easily. And it doesn't produce the righteousness of God. So I'm not standing here saying, I have this sorted, because I don't. But I stand here saying, it's something that more and more I see God working with in my life, as I let him in and deal with more and more of those bits and pieces. In Proverbs, there are a lot of Proverbs about anger. And I haven't put them all on the screen for you. Um, but I just want to read you a few because I think there's a common theme that runs through all the Proverbs and Proverbs is, of course, wisdom that we are given. So, a fool gives vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Another says, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Another says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Another, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. And yet another, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So actually controlling anger is better than being a warrior. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. 
oh, for the day that I see it as glory to overlook the offense. I don't know about you, but that's where I want to be. That I have it so much sorted out. I so understand what God's done for me that I can put the offense fully to one side. Colossians says, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So I want to come back to where we were whilst we were worshipping. Because actually I think that is the place that we need to be. If we understand who we are, if we understand the position that we have as sons of the most holy God, that perspective starts to put all the other things that make us angry, that make us upset, that wind us up into complete perspective. And I want to urge you that that's the perspective we need, that we are sons and daughters of the most, the most high God. We're told to display the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We're told that we will when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you look at those fruit, they have in them peace, patience, gentleness, self-control. And we're told that actually, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then we will display this kind of fruit. And I want filling more with the Holy Spirit that I will display that kind of fruit rather than fruit of anger or bitterness or rage or dissent. Because it's so easy to just go on that downward spiral and let it all go out of control. So I actually want to finish there. I know it's short today, but I only wanted to say what I wanted to say, what I believe God had given me to share this morning. And I think there might be some application for us um, as we come to an end. I've got a song that I want to share. Um, It's a new song, and um, um, you won't necessarily know it. If you've got the the newest New Day CD, then you'll have heard it. Or if you went to New Day, you'll have heard this song. Uh, It's called The Cross of Christ. And um, I just want to read some words from it says, all of my failings, Jesus has taken with open arms at Calvary. Oh, what a saviour. Sing hallelujah. With open arms, I stand in awe. And that's the thing. On the cross, he was pinned there and he took it all. He took all of my anger. But he also took all of my shame for the things that I've done wrong. All of my shameful thoughts, foolish choices that I've made, were hammered to that cross. And you said, I take the blame. And he said that to all of us. He said, I have taken your blame. So we're going to sing this song. 
And um, afterwards, it might be that there's somebody who you feel has really wronged you, who you're angry with. And you might need to just go have coffee with them. And actually that may do more for your soul than anything else. And Jesus says this is a good thing to do. It might be that like me, you've had shame for the anger you've displayed. And actually having prayer for that might be really helpful. And there'll be people to pray. It might be that you know you keep losing your rag and that this is a difficult issue for you. And that actually to have somebody stand with you, pray with you, who you can be accountable to in the future might be really helpful. And if that's you, there are people here who would love to stand with you. So they're the kind of different things that I think are challenges uh, from this morning. Um, but I'd like us to stand and uh, we're going to sing this song. And I recognize that it's a new song. Um, I asked far too late for the worship band to learn it, so that's my fault. Um, but let's sing it together. And um, I believe God is going to help change our hearts and our minds and our thinking. <laughs>